0: Please turn with me now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines, and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand, on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed, even my parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that there are things, some things in your word that are clearer than others. And Lord, many of your people have puzzled and struggled with these words throughout the centuries. And we in ourselves are no better. We therefore pray that you would grant to us understanding in these things, that we would know what it is that you are concerned with, what it is that you would desire us to know, and that you'd open our minds and our hearts to receive these things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, we carry on in Luke chapter 21 after the first Four verses having to do with the widow and her two mites. We come now to what is called the mini apocalypse. It with the in the other gospels, for instance, Matthew 24 is outside of Revelation, the longest portion in the New Testament that has to do with the in times what will happen towards the end of the world. And the context, of course, is a section which really should be connected up in our our. Bibles, but the section beginning in verse 5, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come, which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now he is speaking to them about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That is exactly what happened. Not one of the stones was left upon another. You understand that the temple was had many uh, precious gifts in it, and particularly that it was in many part, in the the, the the central part of it it was it was gold everywhere and when they they set the t- the temple alight that this gold melted in fact such was the heat of it and the soldiers in order to get to every last bit of the the molten gold actually did make sure that not one Stone was left upon another. It was reduced to absolute rubble. Well, he's speaking to them about A.D. 70, something that would even happen in the life of one of them, the Apostle John, if not others. But they think he must surely be talking about the end of the world, the time at which he will return to judge the living and the dead. Well, friends, there was confusion then, And there is confusion now about these things. And we should get them straight in our own hearts and minds. Now, we understand that Jesus is not confused about any of this. These things are perfectly in his own mind. He is not setting them straight for us in order that these people could do well on an exam. Right? We would sometimes correct someone because there's some flaw in their thinking and we want them to do well in their exam, so we correct them. But that's not Jesus' point here. He's not setting them straight so they could get the answer right. He is concerned, my beloved, for the good of their souls. That's what he says. Possess by your patience, possess your souls. What it means is, That there's a possibility that if you are led astray, if you are confused about these things, if you are deceived and confused, that you might lose your soul. It's a very serious matter. Wrong thinking, you see, in itself is not the real problem. It is a danger that it poses to your eternal soul. Because wrong thinking on these things leads to impatience in all the worst kind of ways. But patience is the essence of being a Christian as we await that which we cannot see and has not yet come. For this reason, this reason and others, by patience, possess your souls. That is the title this morning, by patience, possess your souls. And there are four points. First, do not be deceived. Second, do not be terrified third, do not be surprised. But fourth, understand nothing will be lost. So don't be deceived or terrified or surprised, but understand that nothing will be lost and by patience possess your souls. So first of all, don't be deceived. In verse 8 he said, take heed that you Not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am, and notice the word he is in italics, it is not there in the original, I am, and the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. There is going to be deception of two particular kinds. A, there is a deception with regard to Christ himself. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And we know what that means from the Gospel of John, all the great I am statements. This is a reference to the divine name that was revealed in Exodus chapter 3, the great I am. The only one who can rightly lay claim to that name is the Lord Jesus himself. But it says here there are many who will come in his name to deceive and will claim to be either him or one who reigns in his name. Now that is by the way exactly why we rightly label anyone who claims to reign over the church on earth in the name of Jesus Christ as if they were him as, as if they were the regent for Christ on earth why we rightly say that such are anti-Christ because anti does not mean necessarily opposed to Christ although that's what it is in the end but someone who is there instead of Christ who seeks to take the place of Christ and anyone my friends who would claim to be the head who would claim to be the ruler of the church on earth that is what they're doing Now it says in 1 John 2.18, little children it is the last hour and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. We understand that these will come and we might be confused even by what is in 1 John to think well if anyone comes in Christ's name then surely that means that is the time of the end. But if you listen to what the Apostle John says very carefully, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that now, right now, from, from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ up until his return, this is the last hour. And what it means is that there's a, not another one coming after it. Do you see what I mean? You can, you can have a whole list of things. And, you, and it doesn't matter whether this thing, this moment in time, takes one year, or whether it takes 100 years, or whether it takes 2,000 or 3,000 years. It still is the last thing up until Christ returning. And that's what, what John is saying in 1 John, and that's what the Lord is saying here right now. This is the last time. There will not be another time after this one. And don't be deceived. Because in this last time, many will come saying that they are the Christ, or claiming to speak on his behalf words that he's not spoken in his word. Many will come in my name saying, I am. And also, so that's one deception. The other thing is this, that the time has drawn near. The deception, in this case, has to do with the timing of the end, that it is drawn near. Now Jesus himself again says in Revelation 22:20, 20, almost the last verse of the whole Bible. He says, "He who testifies to these things says, "Surely I am coming quickly." That's what Jesus himself says. And if a preacher says that, that doesn't make them a deceiver. The problem is not that, that preachers teach. The imminent return of Christ. Imminent meaning it could happen at any moment and may well be very soon. Because that's just the Bible. That's just the gospel truth. Proclaimed in multiple places throughout God's word. But rather the problem is that they say, they understand special signs that no one else has understood before. Telling them that the timing of the end is at a particular place giving them more information than what has been available throughout the church age. That's the problem. That's the problem. The context here he gives, the specific instances of, for instance, wars and commotions, world events happening. And we know there are many who have said, look, this world event and that world event and so forth, that tells us right now that the end is here. And Jesus, if it's based on wars and commotions Actually, that's not proof positive. These things are going to happen absolutely. I'm telling you they're going to happen. But that doesn't actually tell you the timing of the end. Matthew twenty-four thirty-six says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And if someone comes and says that I do know the timing of the end, well, you can be certain that's not the truth. And what's the word of God for all of us in all of this is, do not be deceived. Those who come claiming to either be Christ or to reign in his name or to speak on his behalf words that he's not spoken in the word of God, they're deceivers. Don't be deceived. And those who come saying that they understand the particular signs, information that has not been available to God's church in all this time, and they now alone understand precisely what's when and how things are going to happen don't be deceived don't go after them so that's point one don't be deceived second don't be terrified it's wonderful to be reassured about all these things because we if 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 we were led astray if we were deceived And that would lead to many problems, and so would being terrified by these things. Don't be terrified. Verse 9, But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. You see, there is no particular and specific, to us at least, to God, and he knows everything, and all these sequences have a perfect, uh, all these events have a perfect sequence known to him. But as for us, there's no specific connection between these conflicts of nations on earth with the end of the world. Now, These things will happen. Jesus says very clearly these things must happen. Right? And we know therefore there is a progression. We know we are moving on towards the end as the, all these things happen. But it doesn't mean that it gives us a specific understanding of the timing of the end. It just means we're carrying on in accordance with the plan that the Lord has given Indeed, Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences. let's just go through the list. These things are fearful enough on their own. Wars. But at least war is at least apparently an act of man. We understand that there are decisions of, of human beings that lead to war. But what about Earthquakes. Even insurance companies call these things acts of God. Famines, pestilences. This is exactly the sort of thing that we find in Exodus. In the evening we're going through the plagues of Exodus. These are the things that happen. Famines and pestilences. These are acts of God. And he says even these things do not tell you the specific timing of the end, other than that these things will happen. It may well be that these things will get worse. It seems, if you read Revelation and you put these things together, it seems as if these things are getting worse towards the end. But that doesn't mean that you know specifically when the end will be. Then beyond that, fearful sights and great signs from heaven. How about that? We've gone from acts of man to acts of God to, to what it seems like Miracles fearful sights, great signs from heaven. And such things have often, even in recent times, been taken to be signals of the end. You know, people lived in terror of seeing a comet or something like that. But he says the end is not yet. In fact, the word of God to us, the promise, the reassurance to us is do not be terrified by these things. Don't be terrified by them. And friends, how often... Does Jesus say to his flock, fear not? It's the greatest refrain in all the Gospels. Do not be afraid. The the disciples are terrified for something. Maybe they see him walking on water and they're terrified. Maybe he said something. Maybe he surprised them in in some other way. And and the word is fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Even after his, his death and resurrection He comes and sees them. And what does he say to them? Fear not. Fear not. And this is the word to us. As we see all these things happening, every last one of them, the word to us is fear not. Do not be terrified by them. All these things are in the hands of the Lord. All these things are in the plan of the Lord. We need not be terrified. So don't be deceived, don't be terrified, and thirdly, don't be surprised. In verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And we say that before all these things, right? We said more than likely these things are happening to some extent throughout all the church age, it may well be that they're getting worse toward the end, but it says even before all these things, something that more particularly concerns you is going to happen, and that is you're going to be persecuted. That is the state of the church throughout all this, this current age, is that we will be persecuted, and we should not be surprised about it. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, this is Jesus' word, as as... Peter and the others come to him and saying, we've left all. What are we going to get in this world? And Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. What are we going to get even in now this time? What are we going to get? houses. And brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And friends, let me say all that's true. If you're wondering what you're going to give up, if you become a Christian, you will give up some things, perhaps. In the worst case, perhaps indeed, even your own family. But you'll gain a new one. That's what Jesus promises. He says very clearly you'll have all these brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And I, I know this to be true, I've experienced it myself. I know it to be true. Some of my mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters are here in this room. And He says, inasmuch as you will gain this wonderful spiritual fa- family of the people of God on this earth, there will be something else which you'll get, and it's persecutions. With persecutions. Now, he goes on to say, and in the age to come, eternal life, because that's what really matters. What counts is what happens in eternity. But he says, look, be certain of this. There's going to be persecution for you. Because the world's not going to like you. Don't be surprised. Now, in that, the fact that the world is going to persecute the, the the Christian church, it demands patience, you see. That's the whole point of this sermon, right? By patience, possess your souls. You've got to be patient when these things happen. The word patience occurs all of two times in the Gospel of Matthew. The word patience occurs all of two times. This is one of them in the Gospel of Luke. When we come to speaking of the the end times when we come to speaking particularly of the situation of Christians throughout the end and particularly of persecution which is what the the book of Revelation is all about do you know how many times it occurs? Six right six times the word patience occurs in Revelation because that is the great virtue that is the great attribute that will be required of God's people as they suffer all this persecution is patience. Because without patience, you're just going to fall away. Without patience, you will be deceived. You'll be surprised, all the rest of it. You've got to have patience. Revelation one nine. I, John, both your brother and companion... Did you notice this, by the way? I hope I said something when we were going through the book of Revelation. I, I hope that this came forward. But if I didn't before, let me say that now. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation... Right and kingdom of, and patience of Jesus Christ. It was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was faithful. He did not deny the Lord Jesus. And for it, he was banished, imprisoned really, on the isle of Patmos. And he's saying, he's your brother. He's your fellow in this, in patience and tribulation. In Revelation 13.10, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. See that? There's going to be persecution. Revelation makes it very clear. It speaks of all the various ways in which it's going to happen and says here's the patience of the saints. Here's what it's going to require. The patience and faith of the saints because those things are very closely connected. Patience and faith now so does that mean that these, these things all it mean it's just a test of your patience is there any point to them yes there's a point to it just as with John and I hope some of you particularly you young men I hope you're saying to yourself, you know it doesn't sound nice it doesn't sound good what John endured but I, I would love the opportunity to stand for Christ in such a such a clear way and to, I wish, I hope, maybe that God would give me that, such an opportunity. And, and friends, let me say, this is exactly what Jesus is saying to all of us. It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. He's saying that persecution is universal. That throughout all the church age, in some way or another, if you want to stand faithful to the word of God, if you want to live in accordance with it, there will be some kind of persecution. For some, in some places in this world, it, it's death, yes. For others, it's, it's just getting the cold shoulder at work. Or your family expressing disapproval or something like that. Some kind of soft persecution at worst. But in all these things, you know what the good thing is? In the providence of God, in the plan of God, you know what this means? It's a, an occasion for testimony. There is your chance. You know, some of us aren't great evangelists. I'm not a great evangelist. And we wonder, how can we create opportunities to speak a word to people, to to testify, to give our testimony, to, 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 to witness to them? And may the Lord grant us more opportunities, all of us. It's a wonderful privilege. But friends, even if you haven't been able to find recently some opportunity to, to share your faith this way, there's another way of that happening. The Lord will provide opportunities. Because when that challenge comes, when that moment comes in which you're being pushed, as you seek to speak and speak to, seek to live in accordance with the word of God, there will be that persecution and there is the opportunity for testimony. Right there. You didn't have to go find it. You didn't have to be a great evangelist to do it. You know, some of the ones who have the, the greatest honor in the whole history of the church, and even in, the, on in, in eternity, they were confessors, like Maximus the Confessor, just had opportunity to do some research on this, this man. All right? He was remembered not for being a great evangelist, but for being a great confessor when times were tough, enduring persecution for which he lost his right hand and his tongue is Maximus the confessor, because it turned out to be an opportunity for testimony. Therefore, in verse 14, therefore settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Now look, please, this is not uh, an excuse that we live our lives without preparation or are doing due diligence and the things that we've called to particularly my fellow ministers and fellow ministerial students it's not that we don't prepare Uh, that's not the issue but what it means is don't don't be afraid in all this he's saying don't be afraid and he's saying if that moment comes the only thing that you have to really be concerned about isn't that you've prepared the brief entirely that's not it Don't let the moment pass because you haven't fully made it. And don't worry about the consequences beyond it. Just, Just be faithful. And the Lord in such extreme situations will surely furnish you with the words and the wisdom to say. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? A wonderful promise. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries would not be able to contradict or resist. You want an example of that? Read on your own Perhaps on this the Lord's Day, Acts chapter seven, in testimony of Stephen, I don't believe that he came into that situation with a manuscript prepared. The Lord truly gave him a mouth and wisdom which all of his adversaries were not able to contradict or to resist. Don't be deceived. Don't be don't be terrified, and don't be surprised by persecution fourthly, understand that nothing will be lost. That's a great thing. You see, we can be patient. We know if we're assured that it will all be all right in the end. It's a great problem with little children, right? They, they're not assured of that. They're, they're somehow thinking in their, their hearts that, that things will never be right again. Even though everything you know good and well that within five minutes, everything will be restored. But they lack patience to see that. Friends, you have to understand that ultimately nothing will be lost. Look, it goes on in verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. That's bad. You say, I could endure the world's opposition to some extent. But those who are close to me, being treacherous, Turning me in, that's tough, really tough. And beyond that, it says, and they will put some of you to death. And indeed, in verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That is hard. Some of us want to be liked. Some of us want uh, affirmation. Indeed, who among us doesn't want some affirmation? Who among us doesn't want to be liked and loved? Of course we do. It's natural. It's natural. But he says very, very clearly, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. It's different, isn't it? It says they'll put some of you to death. That's a, a situation for some of you, but for all of you, you'll be hated. Wow. Wow. We've got to be clear on these things, friends. Let it never be said that we have not been clear about the cost of being a Christian, about the cost of following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now what the cost is. Now, in one sense, there is no cost to becoming a Christian. There's no entry fee. There is no cost. It's a free gift received by faith alone. That's what the gospel is. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You, you receive the gift of salvation and eternal life from him. And there's nothing you can do to pay for that. There is no cost But in another sense, there is a cost in this world. It is not something to pay for. It's no transaction. It is rather something to be born, something that happens inevitably because of who you are now. As you change signs, if you you put on a different uniform, and believe me, friends, if you are a believer, if the Holy Spirit is within you, the world will know it. As you speak differently, as you act differently... Yes, look differently in various ways. They will know it. And the cost is the enmity of the world as you make them uncomfortable. Do you understand that? That that's the real issue? The reason why Christians are hated is not because we do terrible things. In God's goodness, he makes us to be more and more like him, more loving more of the fruit of the Spirit, more generous, more kind, all the rest of these things. No, the reason why they hate us is because we make them uncomfortable. People that wish that they could forget that God exists, people in particular that wish that that there was no moral law or that there is no judgment to come, all these things, Christians are there and they remind them of it. They can't stand it. They dislike it. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Name of Jesus Christ. Curse word in in the mouth of the world that hates him. But precious to us, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. How does this lead to our patience? Well, as I've said, if we're expecting it, it's just like what I said in the previous point. We can't be surprised by these things. We have to know that they're coming. But mainly, you have to understand in verse 18 that not a hair of your head will be lost. That's a promise. Not a hair of your head. Nothing will be lost. Now, is that true? Well, spiritually, we say yes, of course. Because whoever believes has eternal life. You're already in possession of it. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you have this. You cannot possibly lose it. And therefore, it doesn't matter what the world does to you, what they try to take away, what they indeed do take away physically. Spiritually, you can't lose anything. So ultimately, nothing will be lost spiritually. We understand that. But what about physically now? How about that? Well... Yes, and no, and yes. Ready for that? Yes, and no, and yes. All right, Jesus has just said that they will put some of you to death, so it couldn't possibly mean that no harm will ever at any point in time happen to any of God's people because we know that he says it will, and we know by church history, so it has. And even in this day, day by day, you understand that even in this day, Christians actually are being put to death for their faith in various parts of this world but let us consider the case of jesus himself how to put together those two things some of you are going to be put to death not a hair of your head will be lost well what about jesus himself were they able to harm him before his time came the answer is no so up until the moment of his, the time of his departure had come that was determined by the Father, they could do nothing to him. It's not that they didn't try. Well, they tried over and over and over. It is a theme in the Gospels. They sought to lay hands on him. They sought to destroy him. They sought to kill him. Jesus himself called them murderers. But they couldn't do a single thing. He passed through their in the, in, their middle, in their midst without than being able to touch him. Why? Because up until the moment of our departure, friends, nothing can happen to us. We are utterly invulnerable because we have the protection of, all, of our Almighty Father. So yes, even physically, nothing happens. But on the other hand, no. Yes and no, because the day of his departure did eventually come. They did lay hands on him. They succeeded in doing that. In fact, they succeeded in, in beating him. They succeeded in tying and nailing him to the tree and crucifying him and putting him to death. They succeeded in killing him. And isn't it an amazing thing that even as he says to his people, again, leadership by example, you don't ask of those who follow you to do something that you yourself would not be willing to do. And wouldn't it be terrible if Jesus simply at the end of his time went up to heaven and said, by the way, some of you are going to be killed. Now, he would have a right to ask of us that in terms of his authority. But it would leave us a little bit hollow. But, he's, but no, Jesus himself experienced that. He made sure he was part of the sum of that. So they did lay a hand on him. They, a hair on his head was no doubt damaged. As they did that crown of thorns thing with him. I'm sure he lost a hair of his head, and he lost his life as well. He died. But you know, that loss, even physically, was not final because on the third day he arose. And he retains those scars as badges of honor, but every loss was restored. There is nothing that was lost ultimately, not even physically. He didn't lose his life ultimately, it was laid down for. Not even three days, again, is the bare minimum. He didn't lose a limb. He didn't lose a hair of his head. He is alive. And he has gained his people and everlasting glory to go along with it. He lost nothing. He gained. And friends, that is our situation as well. As well. During our time, as long as the Lord has for us to serve, no one can do anything to us. They, they can't lay a finger on us. Not a hair of your head will be touched. But When the time comes determined by the Father, you, won't, you don't want it to go on beyond what God's plan. We all know that what awaits us is eternal glory and we look forward to that greatly. We want to be with our Lord. And when soon enough... The resurrection happens. We won't be missing anything. Nothing will have been lost. Okay. So my friends. Understand that nothing will be lost. And in verse 19 it says this. By your patience possess your souls. All these things when they're happening. All these events. And all these deceptions. And all this trouble comes. Don't let it trouble you. Don't be surprised by it. Understand the promises of God towards you, and that ultimately nothing will be lost. And don't fall off. Don't run over to this cult or the other cult. Don't run over to the, the world just because it threatens you. And your patience possess your souls. So the applications are very straightforward. First of all, be patient. Be patient. In two different ways, okay? I would say macroscopically, some of you are scientists, you under well, or not just scientists, but social scientists and all the rest of it. Understand macroscopic and microscopic. So there's a macroscopic kind of patience that is closely connected with faith. In Hebrews six eleven it says this We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And that you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do you see that connection? In Hebrews, we know that Hebrews is all about faith, all about what faith looks like. Here's what faith looks like. It's closely connected with patience. And those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God had made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, and I will multiply you. And friends, that is the gospel. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. you see that? The connection between faith and, and, and patience. Macroscopically. Throughout all of his life, he patiently endured and awaited the, the fulfillment of the promise. Patience. And let me say then, microscopically, patience is the fruit of the Spirit. We're not talking about patiently enduring to the end to receive the promises, but more specifically, in the way we interact with people. One of the cardinal virtues of Christians is that we are patient, as God Himself is patient with us. And these things are different manifestations of the same thing. We are patient because we're willing and able to leave things in the hands of God very often which is requisite knowing that in the end all will be well it enables us then to be patient so the first application is to be patient and the second is this understand that we cannot have the world's friendship right. if the word of God says very clearly you will be hated by all for my name's sake then do we really think that we can be friends with the world? It's as if the church today has deleted that verse, that they've gone, and and there's so many terrible new new versions these, these days, unfaithful in various ways. But it's as if they've made some new version, that that's actually been inked out, redacted from the text. Because the, the word that comes, I hear, the message I hear coming across is, you can be friends with the world. You can be so relevant, they will love you. You can be so relevant, you can preach a message that's so relevant and contextualized that great swaths of people will just come of their own accord, quite apart from any work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's not true. It isn't true. And if you think that you can be stealth enough as a Christian that the, the world will just embrace you and they'll never feel uncomfortable around you, there'll never be any kind of even minor persecution, you are mistaken. Very mistaken. Understand that you cannot have the world's friendship. This is what James 4 4 says Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That means being an enemy. With God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world. Makes himself an enemy of God. Understand that you cannot have the world's friendship. Not really. Not ultimately. Thirdly and finally. Don't be deceived. This is implicit in what I, I said in the first point. But you have to understand there are many false religions. Many cults. Many sects. Many false forms of Christianity. And friends, don't be deceived because your soul is at stake. Again, it's not a matter of, of, of rivalry between different factions and we want you and the other people want you and you get to pick. It's that your very soul is at stake by receiving the truth of hearing the word of God, the whole counsel of the word of God your soul and that of your, your, your family is at stake in these things. Don't be deceived. Don't fall away to things that are false. And let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this, the Word of God. It is a light to our path. It is a light to our soul. And we know, Heavenly Father, that truly this is what is at, at stake. Is no minor and trivial thing, but ultimately our souls that are in the balance. And how we pray, Lord God, that we in patience would keep and possess our souls. And even as many rumor, wars and rumors of war happen. Even as many natural disasters happen. Even as the world persecute your church and we would not be moved by these things unnecessarily but rather lord we would understand that ultimately we'll not lose anything even if the very worst happens as indeed it happened to your own son heavenly father we pray that you would enable us to receive your good promises and in patience and faith possess our souls we ask this in christ's name amen, amen.